Good afternoon, everyone. Delightful to see you all. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 6. If you are new to our congregation, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. And at the end of the service, uh, I'll be in the lobby area. We'd love to meet you if we've never met before. We've been in a series focusing on the first few stories in the book of Genesis, a series entitled How We Got Here, Origin Stories of Brokenness and Redemption. And what we're trying to get at in this series is to say that the world is what it is because of what we see in the first few chapters in the Bible. But more than that, we reenact these stories day in and day out in our own lives. And we see these stories reenacted every day as we look at the news, as we look at our world, uh, stories of brokenness. And yet God is not done with the world God wants to renew and restore the world, and we want to lean more into that. And so for the first week, I focused on Adam and Eve and really the origin story of how we grasp instead of receive, that our world is marked by grasping, taking instead of receiving. And then we looked at Cain and Abel and how jealousy plays a a significant role in the ways that the world goes down a path of destructive forces of jealousy and such. And today we're going to look at an age-old uh, age story of Noah's Ark, a story that many of us are familiar with. And when we get to chapter 6, we see that the world is in a lot of trouble in Genesis 6. Uh, before we get into our, the story here, I realize that this is a very famous story, and many people uh, come to this passage in different ways. And I was actually reminded of that between services in my conversation with some New Lifers. That for, there's about three different types of people, at least in this room, that there's some folks in this room who, when we look at the story of Noah's Ark, we see the scripture, we read the story, and we say, however it happened here, this is how it happened. And we, we believe that. Then there are others in this church who see the story and they say, no, I don't know if it happened at all. And then there's some in the middle. And so here we are together, wrestling together with the Bible, wrestling with scripture. And I say that to note that as people of God, we want to be a space where we wrestle with scripture, where we ask questions, where we engage in dialogue, uh, that we are uh, submitting ourselves to God's word. And at the same time, God is not afraid of our questions. And so we want to be a people who wrestle with God's word in this way. And so my, my goal for the sermon is not to solve all these issues, as if I could, uh, but to show how the story of Noah and the flood is one that happens every day in our world and that we reenact this in our lives as well. And so uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is really the story of the fall and all of its manifestations. 1 through 11, by the time Genesis 12 comes, there's a big shift. But 1 through 11 are the ways, stories of the fall. And we're going to look at one of those stories today. I will say lastly before I read the text is that the story of Noah's Ark is, uh, there are four chapters given to the story. It's a lot of material, a lot of uh, content here. And I'm going to share, uh, I'm going to read these verses. I'm not going to read all four chapters here. We'll be here for another two hours. Uh, but I'm going to try to distill four chapters in about 28 minutes and focus on what are the particular thrusts in the Bible that we see out of this story. And so we're going to begin in chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. You can follow on the screen as well. 
hear the word of the Lord. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But the Lord, uh, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. Let's pause for a second. Could you imagine if, if this was an Ikea book, uh, how, how many pages <laughs> this book would be to build this ark? Anyway, uh, verse 17, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground uh, will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. We want to find ourselves in this story, and so let's pray, let's invite Jesus to breathe on us, to open our eyes to this text, and to see what the Spirit of God has for us this afternoon. Lord, thank you for the gift of Scripture, uh, and thank you for these ancient stories, Lord, that, um, that speak truth. Uh, that must get our attention. And so, Lord, by your spirit, lead us and guide us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive everything you have for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. There are certain stories in the Bible that whether you are a church-going person or not, you are familiar with it. You don't have to go to church to really know the story of Noah's Ark. It's all over our culture and saturates our cultural imagination. 
Whenever it rains and there's a downpour of rain, people speak about Noah's Ark. It, uh, it, uh, it, it rained with some uh, flood proportions of, of Noah. You know, we, we have this, this cultural concept and reference point to speak about Noah's Ark. There are movies about Noah's Ark. There's humor related to Noah's Ark and such. And this past week, as I was preparing for the sermon, I, I, I Googled Noah's Ark and images and such, and, and I started uh, looking at these uh, cartoon uh, strips of Noah's Ark, and I got distracted for a good hour, and, uh, and, and I just wanted to share some of them. So, uh, I, and so there were four in particular that I, I just enjoy. Well, the first one here is just, you know, Noah saying, maybe I shouldn't have brought the termites. Uh, the next one I really appreciated as well, just Noah coming out of Ikea, uh, just the big box there, uh, lots of material. Uh, the other one here, I really like this one here, just uh, an arc. No, I said an arc, and he, he made an ARC uh, instead of an ARK. Uh, I really appreciated that one. And, and then this one here, my favorite here, where two dinosaurs say, oh, crap, that was today. And so um, that's how, that, that's, you're trying to figure out what happened to the dinosaurs? Here we are. It's, it's here we are. And I don't know if I should say crap, but... Um, We'll have communion later. I'll ask for forgiveness. Uh, I have a lot of questions about Noah's Ark, but the Bible is pretty clear that the focus of the story is aimed at the condition of the human hearts and the condition of the world, and yet God's commitment to make, to, to make the world reborn in a new kind of way. And just like these stories in Scripture, when I look at some stories in Scripture, we have to know that Noah's Ark is really not a kid's story. We, we read it to children, we talk about it in church, but Noah's Ark is not really a kid's story. It's a story about human corruption, a story of wickedness, a story of sin, a story of violence, a story of judgment. It's not a good story to read to the children before they go to bed at night. It's, they're going to have nightmares. This is not a, real, a good story. It's a story of sin and how sin has so infected and pervaded the world, and yet it's a message that we need to hear. As I've been preaching this, the first and second service, I realized this isn't a real feel-good message. This is a message that we need to hear because it locates us in a world that is marked by sin, in a world that's marked by corruption, in a world that's marked by wickedness. And from time to time, we need to find ourselves in this story. By the time we get to chapter 6 in the book of Genesis, there's a lot of wickedness in the world, a lot of wickedness in, in the story. And it, was, it, it wasn't always this way, but little by little, as the chapters go on, we see how the wickedness spread. In chapter 2, we see it spread like fire, and almost like the fires in California, where it probably started with one tree, and it began to go to the next tree, and extend, and expand, and all that, to the, to the point where a whole region is, uh, is, is on fire. This is what we see in Genesis, that the fire of sin begins in the garden in chapter 3, but the fire of sin does not remain in the garden, that it finds its way outside of the garden as well. That when Cain and Abel sin, we see the sin of, of Cain, the, the fire spreads outside of the garden. And little by little, it spreads so much so that by the time we get to chapter 6, the entire world is on fire. Under the fire of sin. And so in chapter 6, when it begins, there's a lot of puzzling things here. A lot of, 
uh, challenging, puzzling words. In the beginning of chapter 6 and verse 1 through 4, there's this strange language that it says that the sons of God were having relationships with the daughters of men. And some believe that's angels having relationships with, with human beings, but, 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 but God is not happy about this, and, and it's hard to understand, but there's, there's some wickedness happening in the land. In verse 5 and verse through 8, we see that the presence of evil is so uh, pervasive that God is remorseful, that God regrets that God made creation. And the word that comes up over and over again, it was corrupt and it was violent. In verse 11, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. People killing each other, people having no regard for other people made in the image of God. And God is grieved to see the level of violence that's overtaking the world. And God gets to the place where he realizes, I need to start from scratch. I got to throw it all away. I cannot work with this anymore. It reminds me, the other day I was cleaning out the refrigerator, and you ever left something in the back of the fridge, you forgot about it, some food, and, 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 and it's, it's just nasty now, and, and I opened the fridge, and I'm cleaning, and, I, and, I, and, I, and it got to a point, I didn't even want to open it, you know, it was like, I don't even want to open this thing, I'm going to just throw up all over the place, and so I just threw out the whole container, just, I'm not even going to open it, I'm going to throw it out, I cannot use it anymore. This, 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 this decay has so uh, impacted this container, I'm just going to throw it away. It's almost as if God opens the refrigerator of the world, looks within, and says, I can't work with this. I got to throw it all away. And as God is about to throw it all away, he scans the earth and comes across a guy named Noah. And he sees, finally, someone who walks faithfully with me. Finally, someone who was blameless. And God says, I will now use this one man to see a world reborn. Don't get caught up in all the details here. This is essentially what's happening. God is saying, I'm going to use this man to see a world reborn. And God is saying, I just need one to change the spiritual atmosphere of this world. Just give me one. And he finds the one in Noah. And that's a good word of encouragement for us because God just needs one to change the spiritual atmosphere of a given place. You might be the only Christian on your job, but God just needs one. And God can change the spiritual atmosphere of your workplace. You might be the only Christian in your class at school, but God just needs one. To change the spiritual atmosphere. You might be the only Christian in your home, but God just needs one to change. He looks at Noah and says, I'm looking for someone who's faithful. I'm looking for someone who wants to walk with me because I just need one. And so God finds this man, Noah. And instead of uh, wiping everything out and, and destroying, he says, I want to use one. Why? Because I want to see the world reborn. And so God now says to Noah, Noah, I have a project for you to do. And it's not a weekend project. This is more than a weekend project. This project is going to take years, decades to come to pass. And so God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And he gives them all these instructions. Now, remember, there's no Home Depot. There's no Woodhaven Boulevard Home Depot there. There is no construction workers to help him, no cranes, no 
uh, contractors, no volunteers that can help him all that. Noah seems to be all alone, which is why the project lasts, many say, about 100 years. And could you imagine the conversation he's having at home with his wife? You're still working on it? I'm still working on it, babe. It's been 80 years. I still got some work to do. I told my wife, you should be happy that it takes me just two weeks to get that shelf done. Okay, it took Noah all that time here. But Noah is by himself constructing this ark year after year. Could you make it, imagine the noise he's making year after year at all times of all kinds of day? Nine o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock at night. He's just working, banging over and over for decades. I imagine the people are not so happy about it. I, I recall going into our apartment, and, and we just moved in the first day, and I imagined that our neighbors would give some grace, and we got a bed, and, and it was maybe 7 o'clock p.m., and I'm building the bed, some hammering, and, and, and about 15 minutes into the hammering to build my children's bed, I, I, somebody takes the broom, and boom, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm come on, man, I just got here. I just got, that's Queens for you. I, I just got here. Could you imagine Noah banging year after year? Early in the morning, how his neighbors are not happy about him. We actually saw it in the, in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, there's a guy who created Noah's Ark uh, to, to scale. He, he created the whole thing. He built it over years. I put it on the screen here. And this is in the Netherlands. And this is what, they, what Noah's Ark is, uh, looks like, uh, supposedly. And, and the neighbors, it was an article in the New York Times, they were not happy with this. Look how wonderful it looks. But, but they said he, he, his, he built the ark in a spot that blocked our view from what we like to see. And so the neighbors are not happy with this guy in the Netherlands. My neighbors are not happy with me in Queens. You could be sure that the neighbors of Noah are not happy. And yet Noah keeps on working. Noah works to the point where he builds it and then the flood comes, the rains come and, and he steps out of the boat after 40 days and the world is reborn as it were, starting fresh. But as we look at these four chapters and there's so much to uh, theologically explore, so much to ethically explore, but I want to narrow down these four chapters in just a couple of words. Two words that I believe are to, uh, we are to wrestle with. Words that are very important biblically and theologically, and words that we are to help to find ourselves in this story. The two words are sin and faithfulness. Sin and faithfulness. We see that the world is what it is in the book of Genesis because the people in the land did not take sin seriously. Why is it so corrupt? Because they did not take sin seriously. There was selfishness, there was corruption, there was wickedness, there was violence. In verse 5 it says, listen to these words, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The, the, The power of sin had so pervaded the psyche, so pervaded the human heart, so pervaded the land Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And we see that sin, that's how pervasive sin is, that sin is not just something we do. Sin is a power that humanity is under. It's what shackles us. It's what makes us a prisoner. It's not just something we do, it's something we're caught in. 
And the story helps us to see that the, very, the core nature of the world's problem is sin. That before the world is under a flood of water, it's under a flood of sin. These people did not live as if God existed. The communion that they had with God just a few chapters ago was long gone. And what filled the earth was wickedness and violence. And their story, that story in Genesis 6, is our story as well. Just look at the news and you see violence all over the earth. Look at what's happening in Syria. Look what happens with the violence that comes because of greed over oil. Look at the political deceit that floods our land that leads to violence. The inner city violence in our local communities around this country that makes the news. The violence against human beings in the form of human trafficking. By the way, Elmhurst is one of the epicenters of human trafficking in this country, right under our nose. Look at the division and hostility we have over politics and the violence that we offer one to another in the form of words, in the form of deeds. But let's not just look out there. Let's look in here. From time to time, we have to do a good assessment of, uh, of sin in our lives. It's important to, to offer ourselves to God, which is why confession of sin is so important on a regular basis. Because it so pervades our thinking, it so pervades our heart. This story calls us to focus on our own condition. It calls us to name the lies that we tell, the bodies that we objectify, the bitterness that we carry, the ways that we grasp, the, the ways that we go about doing our will. Genesis 6 is a world that has forgotten about God. And just a few chapters before this, it was all good. How quickly things have turned. I think about how quickly things have turned every single day in my own life. How quickly things can turn in the New York second where I'm experiencing communion with God and next thing you know, I forgot about God. Ever happened to you? In the morning, I wake up and I'm praying. I'm having a good time. How is it that five minutes after I pray, I watch the TV or my kids say something or I'm driving on Queens Boulevard, whatever God did in my soul, I just forgot about God. How was that possible? That I'm praying, Lord, give me peace that passes all understanding. And then five minutes later, I'm screaming at my kids. You know, what are you doing? How is it possible that we can go from Genesis 2 to Genesis 6 so quickly? That in a New York second, we can go from feeling holy to having our lives marked by all kinds of sin. That we can go from being generous to being stingy. That we can go from being kind to being rude. That we can go from being loving to being resentful. In a New York second, how is this possible? This is the story of sin in our lives, working in us. And so this is to locate us, brothers and sisters, of the ways that we often forget about God. In a way that, that when we forget about God and, and take matters into our own hands, that the result of it is, is violence against our souls, violence against our brothers and sisters, violence against the world. The world is what it is because of sin. This is what we see in the story. But we also see that the world becomes what it can become because of faithfulness. As we look at the story, we have to see, yes, these are the ways that I have uh, not done God's will. Yes, this is the ways that I've trespassed and violated. Yes, these are the ways. And we are to situate ourselves there. And then we look to the story to see that the world is reborn 
through faithfulness. As God is about to do away with this world, he finds Noah and he finds someone who walks faithfully with God and we see that the world can be reborn through people in the power of God who walk faithfully with him. The story of Noah is that God looks for faithful people. No, God doesn't look for perfect people. God doesn't look for supremely educated people. God's not looking for popular people. God's looking for faithful people. And in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. Noah is faithful. It's a a fascinating study, actually, that uh, some scholars go back and forth to say whether rain had come yet on the earth or if rain came after Noah built the ark. And so uh, in Genesis 2, it talks about rain had not, God had not sent rain upon the earth yet. Some wonder, was, is, was, was Noah building an ark for rain that he's never seen before? Uh, that he's, he's building it and saying, Lord, you want me to build a boat and, 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 and get animals in here and, and because it's going to rain? And God says, yes. And Noah says, and what's rain? Uh, <laughs> what is it? And yet he's faithful. He does what God does and reminds me that faithfulness often means moving forward when I don't fully understand, sticking with God when I fully don't understand what God is doing. That's faithfulness. And the, and the interesting thing, could you imagine the people who are ridiculing Noah, who are saying after decades, Noah, you're a fool, and Noah continues to build Build, build, day after day, year after year, not fully understanding what's taking place, but Noah remains faithful. And it reminds me that faithfulness is really a beautiful thing, and that faithfulness does not necessarily mean you have great faith. Hear this. You can be faithful and struggle with faith. Because faithfulness is you essentially saying, I'm going to stick with God even though I have all these doubts and uncertainty. It reminds me of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, many people know Mother Teresa uh, or or Saint Teresa of Calcutta now uh, 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 as someone who is supremely faithful. And Mother Teresa has been supremely faithful in spite of her faith struggles. There was a book that was written about her called... uh, uh, about her memoirs and such. I believe, I believe it's Come Be My Light, I believe. And in the book, it notes all of the ways that she struggled with her faith. And there's one excerpt in particular that I, I find interesting where it says, that she says, please pray specially for me that I may not spoil God's work and that our Lord may show himself for there is such terrible darkness within me, as if everything was dead. She wrote this in 1953. It has been like this more or less from the time I started the work. Here's what she's saying. Her name was Agnes before, was changed to Mother Teresa, and before she joined her order, she had so much joy. She's gonna give her life to the poor. So much energy, so much passion. And then she signed up, and on day one, She says that she felt like God left her on day one. Could you imagine you sign up to do something for God 
And then on day one, if you feel like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here Mother Teresa is, not feeling any kind of consolation in her spirit. And yet, year after year, decade after decade, she is still being faithful to God, serving the poor, being with those who are marginalized, oppressed, and overlooked. You know, you can be faithful and still struggle with faith. That's the good news, brothers and sisters. Faithfulness is, I'm going to stick with God when everything inside of me says, give up. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness, it transcends feelings. I'm going to stick with God when I don't feel anything. I'm going to stick with God when I don't understand anything. That's what faith, and that's what Noah does. He's faithful. He perseveres. He continues. And for some of us, to be faithful to God might mean a massive project like Noah undertook, or it might mean just doing the small, simple tasks with faithfulness. As a parent, to, to be faithful as a parent is, is, is every single morning as, as you feed your children, as you change your children, as you love your children, even with their bad, nasty attitudes, that, that, that you just continue to love them well. That's faithful. I have no experience with that, but, but, uh, but you, you, you just, you're continuing to love them well. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness is you hate your job, but, but, but you don't work in the name of your boss. You work in the name of Jesus. And, and so you go to work even though you don't want to go to work. And, and when you're at work, you actually do the work. You're not on Facebook, you know what I'm saying? You're there. You're being faithful. In a, in a marriage, it's, the marriages are up and down. You have good days, you have bad days. But being faithful says, let's, let's persevere, let's get some help, let's see a counselor, let's see a therapist. It's so easy to want to give up just like that. Instead of saying, no, 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 let's, let's, let's keep working on it, let's persevere. Being faithful. Being faithful is throughout the course of the week, you, you can't trace God, you don't know where God is, and yet you come into Sunday worship to lift up your voice in faith to say, God, I can't trace you, but I'm going to trust you. I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to lift up my hands to worship you. Being faithful is my prayers don't work at all, and yet I'm going to wake up this morning, and I'm going to seek God, and I don't feel God, I don't see God, but faithfulness says, I'm going to stick with it. Because I believe one day God will surprise me. That's faithfulness. And we live in a world that gives up way too easy. Marriages that give up way too easy. I mean, you dated for, you know, for six days and you got married and everything. And, and you thought everything was going to be perfect. And then you find out it's not perfect. You realize I made a bad decision here. But faithfulness says, what, what, what does it mean to persevere? What, what, does it, what does it mean to discern God's will here? What, what, what does it mean to wrestle with God in this? Faithfulness. When, when God sees us face to face uh, and, and we've, we've done his will, he's, he's, he's not going to say, well done, good and successful servant. Well done, good and popular servant. Well done, good and educated servant. Well done, good and wealthy servant. No, no. Well done, good and help me here. Faithful servant. 
God is looking for faithfulness. God is looking for faithfulness. Faithfulness is, I'm going to continue to persevere even when everything inside of me wants to give up. And faithfulness is done in the context of community. It's it's an interesting little detail that in chapter seven, after Noah gets all the animals and his family in the boat, in in the ark, and it reminds us why the animals, it reminds us that our lives as human beings is intrinsically connected to the entire created order. Why all the animals? We are, we are connected to the environment. We are connected to the created order. We are connected. We are connected. We are connected. He gets them all in the, in the, in the ark. And then a curious passage, it, it says, and then God shut the door. I like that. It doesn't say Noah shut the door. It says, and then God shut them in. And it's a, I think it's a nice metaphor for community. That the world is marked by violence in this passage. The world is marked by hostility in our world. And it's almost as if God is saying, you're going to have to figure out how to be a new human family together. And he shuts them in. We're going to figure this out together. And a world is reborn in community, in relationships. Could you imagine how many days after they set out to sea? Oh, set out to sea. They were on the sea. You know, the flood comes. And, and next thing you know, they... It starts smelling in there, and people got bad attitudes, and, and, and could you imagine how many times they want to jump out of the ark, just get, get me out of this place here, and yet, but God shut them in. God shut them in. As that, we come to New Life Fellowship Church to be rooted here, uh, and, and my hope is that you recognize that to be a family, to be a church family, means that God shuts us in, which means to be shut in by God For some of you are like, oh, no. To be shut in by God means that there is some stability to your life within the community. That when things get rocky, you just don't jump off the boat. Why? Because God has shut us in. Now, that doesn't mean that you can never leave New Life Fellowship. If you can never leave a church or whatever, that's not a church. That's a cult if you can never leave. But, (laughs) but, But hear my point. We, we want to jump out so quickly. Some of you come to New Life and you, you meet a few people and you, you go, I thought this was the emotionally healthy church. I, I have my doubts now. And, and what makes us emotionally healthy is not that we, everybody got their act together. Why it's a value is because we know we're all messed up and we're trying to figure this out together. That's, that's, that's what makes us emotionally healthy. We're, we're trying to figure it out. But, but, no, but God shuts them in. As if to say that the world is reborn and our lives are reborn, not as individuals, but in community. This is why small groups matter for us. This is why community life matters for us. That no person is an island, that we need brothers and sisters on the journey to be shut in together, to follow God, to do God's will. And this is what we find in Noah. The the, sin is rampant in the world, and yet in in, in, in spite of all the sin, there's a faithful community that's saying yes to God. Now, as we look at this story, I want to bring this to a close, and then we'll share communion together. Like every story in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, what I love about the scriptures is that some way, somehow, they all point to Jesus Christ. And what we see in Genesis 6 
is that it reflects something of Jesus' life as well. That the world is caught up in sin and God did something about it. And how God demonstrated victory over the sinful world is by faithfulness. How is the world healed? Fundamentally, not by our faithfulness, but by God's faithfulness. The faithfulness found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the faithful one. In this respect, Jesus, he is the truer Noah. He is the the real Noah. He, He is the one who is supremely blameless, supremely faithful, Supremely does everything God commanded him. Jesus Christ is the real Noah. But beyond Jesus Christ being the real Noah, Jesus is the true ark. The one who opens his hands on the cross, as it were, opening the door to salvation to say whoever would come in is welcome. And there's room for more than just a family. And there's room for more than just a couple of animals. Everyone is welcome here. That when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, he is welcoming human beings. He's welcoming all of creation to be renewed and restored in him. And so he is the true Noah. He is the true ark. He is the one who walks faithful. And this is good news for us because sooner or later we will be faithless. And yet as the Bible says, even though we are faithless, God remains faithful. Faithful towards us. The story of Genesis 6 is that the world is caught up in sin. The world is full of corruption and wickedness. And yet, God refuses to forget his people. Jesus would come die for us, take on our sin, resurrect, showing his power over it, rising over the flood as it were, reigning on high, and now he invites us to live a life of faithfulness in this world, sticking with him, As the flood of sin in our world continues to rise, God says, I can form you in such a way to be a faithful presence in this world. This is why we come to the table of communion, as we're going to share in a moment. We're reminded in, 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 in communion that Jesus is the faithful one, that Jesus is the one who, who gives his life for us. And we are invited to take bread and dip it in a cup to receive his love to receive, to to recognize his faithfulness and how he is the one who did God's will on our behalf and invite that same spirit of Jesus to so fill our lives. This is why we take the bread and the cup so that we become what we eat, that the faithfulness of Jesus would so fill our lives as well. So I wanna invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Invite the worship team forward. It's a long story, this story of the flood, but if you narrow it down, it's pretty straightforward. It's a world caught in sin. It's a world that is reborn through faithfulness and community. It's a world that points to God's uh, conviction and God's commitment to seeing a world reborn. I wonder today which one of those three words resonate today. Maybe it's sin, maybe you've been caught in some ways of being, some old ways of thinking, some addictions, 
or you find yourself just doing your own will, captive to a, a power, and you're longing for freedom and salvation and liberation. Maybe it's the word that resonates is faithfulness, that everything inside of you wants to give up, and yet you need God's grace to remain faithful even when you don't understand, even when your feelings say do otherwise, even when your friends say do otherwise. Something inside of you is still pulling you to God and you just need grace to remain faithful. Maybe it isn't that word community where you've been trying to do it all alone and yet God wants to shut you in in community to journey with someone together. Before we take communion and before we pray this prayer of confession, I want to invite you for your own, for the next moment, to offer your own repentance before God, to confess your own sin before God. Think about this past week and say, Lord, this is where I took matters into my own hands. This is where I forgot you. This is where I lived as if you didn't even exist. And just take a moment to find yourself in this story and offer your repentance before God in your heart. Let's take a moment. Amen. Let's all stand together. We have a prayer of confession on the screen, and the reason we pray this out loud together is because it's our communal confession to say we're all in the same boat, as it were. We are all subjected to the powers of sin, and we need deliverance and salvation that comes only in Jesus Christ. And so we confess our sins before God receiving his grace to be faithful, a faithful presence in this world. Let's pray this prayer of confession together. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. The ushers will lead you, take bread, dip it in the cup, go back to your seat, and I'll lead us to take it together.
Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. 
as the people of God, freely forgiven in Jesus Christ. Let's all receive together. have the prayer team come to my left. For some of you, you came into church today and your life feels like you're underwater. You feel overwhelmed. You feel stressed. There's so much coming at you. You feel like you can't even breathe. You look at your finances. You look at your relationships. You look at what's happening at work and you, you think to yourself, how will I survive another week? How will I make it? And this is why we close every gathering with a time of prayer for those who want to receive it. Because to, to be shut in in an ark together means that we need to open ourselves up to others, to receive prayer, to let someone pray for you and bless you in the name of Jesus, to say, you will make it. You will get the strength you need. God is with you. And so our prayer team is here. If you're feeling like you're underwater, feeling like you can't breathe, don't walk out of here without us praying for you. For some of you in this room, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. And so you find yourself drowning in a flood of sin. And God opens his hands to you saying, whoever will come, my, my ark is open for you. It's always open for you. And today, if you're tired of drowning in the flood of your own sin, the flood of your own bad habits, the flood of, flood of your own addictions, the flood of you taking matters into your own hands, you realize this is not working at all. Jesus says, the ark is open. I came from a church called Arca de Salvacion, Ark of Salvation. That was the name of the church I became a Christian at. And, and the doors are always open. And when Jesus extends his hands in this way, he's saying, come home. There is more than enough room for you here. And so if you came in today and you've never said yes to Jesus, he's inviting you home. Our prayer team will pray for you for whatever needs you have, and so feel free to stay as long as you need to. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're new to our congregation, we end every gathering like this. Why? Because the world is full of so much violence. The world is filled with hostility, corruption. And we want to walk out of church receiving blessing and then being a people who bless, who bless those we come in contact with through our words, through our deeds. We want to be that kind of people. And so we receive in order to give. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, living faithful lives to Jesus as a response to his faithfulness in your life. And may those who see you come into very contact with God, with God's love, with God's grace, with God's mercy, may it flow through you this week. And may people around you find great refuge and salvation in the name of Jesus. 
I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the faithful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace to you all.